Patrick Chandler. I'm TJ Kiblin. I'm Nick Reyes. And you're listening to Sweat Daily Podcast. Welcome back to another Sweat Daily Podcast. We got the gang here. We are going to talk a little bit more seriously than we normally do. Um, we like to, to dive into a lot of different topics. And today's podcast actually kind of formulated by us just thinking about, you know, why is obesity in America such a prevalent thing? You know, it, we're in the age of information. You can come to, um, you can basically go to any type of block almost anywhere in America and find some sort of fitness avenue. Um, you can you know, get on the internet and find uh, health coaches, diet information, uh, seemingly endless possibilities, but we still continue to grow our statistics uh, in obesity. And so basically what we're going to try to do is solve the world's problems. How's that sound, guys? Pretty easy. Yeah, yeah we, got, we got it. We're going we're gonna to do it, but we're not actually going to solve the world's problems. But what we, what we are going to do is just try to have a dialogue and kind of figure out maybe some of the reasons why that... That's the case, you know, and, and if we can offer something that's helpful to someone out there, awesome. Um, if not, you know, that, that's okay too. But we just wanted to, to kind of give our perspective based on statistics that we found and, and kind of uh, just, just talk about it a little bit. So Nick and I sat down a couple of weeks back and we, we kind of dove into some t- statistics about um, just obesity in general, um, you know, nutrition in America uh, fitness in America or exercise as it's more commonly, commonly known and, and kind of went from there and, and a little bit into healthcare too. Um, so that's, that's some pretty heavy stuff, a lot of things, but I'm going to turn it over to Nick and let him talk just briefly about some of the things that he found as far as just nutrition in America goes. Yeah. So, I mean, I think to maybe phrase the conversation, um, there's America is sitting right now, um, about 40% of ev- of our population is considered obese. That's four out of ten. That's significant, right? And um, which is a twenty six percent increase from two thousand and eight. So it's like gaining traction and gaining steam, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some of the nutrition you know, kind of data points that um, uh, that we saw was uh, on an average about nine point three billion dollars is spent in marketing of soda, fast food, candy, you know, terrible snacks. That's just to children, right? So imagine your, your advertisements on Nickelodeon and the Disney channel and, and all of that, right? So obviously if we train our youth to eat poorly from the onset, they're not going to become adults who eat well. And I know as a parent, I probably have a tendency to just be like, sometimes like, Oh, you want that? And it will keep you like, you know, occupied or you won't be for fine, freaking eat it. Well, and it's kind of cyclical because then that's how they parent, right? So exactly falling down this. Yeah. So on that same note, um, about a third of Americans rely solely on fast food every single day. And only about one in 10 eat the recommended amounts of fruits and vegetables, which to me was jaw dropping that one in 10. So that means that we, you know, we talk about this all the time at the gym with nutrition clients, or I know our nutrition coach, Anthony does like the whole concept of, um, staying to the outside of the grocery store. Right. Or, uh, and I know that during the pandemic, um, 
and there was all this stuff flying off the shelves, but I'd walk into this, into the grocery store and there were plenty of fruits and vegetables, but like you couldn't get cereal. Right. Right. It's right. expensive, bro. I mean, you know, <laughs> I just, that's a terrible excuse. Well, and we'll kind of, I think we'll kind of get into that, but I actually wanted to backtrack just a little bit um, because the, your very first point about four out of 10, 40% of Americans are obese. And I think, I think maybe we, we skip past, you know, defining obesity. I know a lot of people um, understand and know, but, you know, from, from an actual clinical medical perspective, you're classified as obese when your, your BMI um, is, is over uh, uh, 30 is the number. And, and this is a number that's based off of your height and weight. Um, there's a lot of debate about BMI and whether it is good, bad. Um, and, and I probably stand more on the side of it's, it's not a great form of measurement because it doesn't necessarily encompass lean body mass. But um, I think it's very evident that we're all out here, you know, the, the four out of 10, you might find a couple of people that are really, really muscular, and they just happen to have so much muscle that they they weigh enough to be in that that overweight or obese range. I'm considered obese. I have a 32 BMI. Right, and if you looked at TJ, you wouldn't necessarily notice hamster. that. Well, yeah, um, <laughs> that's one way to put it. Um, I'm technically overweight, um, you know, in the overweight category, which is over 25 on that BMI scale. Normal is between 18 and 25, and then underweight is under 18. So um, if, you, if you're confused about BMI, there's actually tons of BMI calculators. All you go, just Google BMI, literally just those letters, calculator, type in your, your height and your weight, and that's all it does. It'll calculate it for you and tell. So you can tell if you're, if you're overweight or not. So Basically, I just kind of hijacked that to say, um, you know, you might be a little bit overweight. You might even be labeled as obese, but it, there is a little bit of nuance to that. That being said, four out of 10 people, that's excessive. You and, know. and I'd say that even, you know, and I know we're, we, we set this all up to talk about obesity, but, um, you know, I lost my father six years ago to a heart attack and he was not obese by any stretch of the imagination. There's a difference between heart health and obesity as well. And it's possible to have poor heart health um, from poor nutrition and from poor, um, you know, fitness habits and still, uh, you know, exit out of this world before your time. Yeah. 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 And, and I know TJ just mentioned a, a minute before about, you know, price, you know, the, those fruits and vegetables are, are more expensive and to a to degree, I mean, they are. And, and one of the reasons why that could be a possibility um, Nick, I think you had some notes on like government subsidies, and I don't know how much you know about what a subsidy is, but if you want to explain that a little bit. Yeah, so a subsidy would be essentially like the U.S. government um, helping with either tax deductions, uh, grants to specific industries, or basically just a way of funding specific industries that they believe are in the best interest of our nation, right? So, um you know, from, from 1995 to 2010, there was about $170 billion, um, that was sent to subsidized corn, soybeans, wheat, rice, livestock, dairy. Um, but nothing really went goes to fruits and vegetables. So when we talk about that part of the supermarket being expensive, well, if you're not getting any federal support and, you know, the, the rice manufacturers, which you know, create all the cereals and the breads and the frozen sections and your hot pockets and all that stuff is getting subsidies. Of course, those items are going to be cheaper than, 
you know, a three pack of bell peppers, which is now $4 at the supermarket down the street. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think something that's interesting is, is the government also is, and we're trying not to get like too like conspiracy theory, the government is out to get us, but it is interesting that they're responsible for heading the MyPlate organization, which is, was previously what the food, it was the food pyramid way back in the day. And then there was something in between that and it, it changed so much. And it's like, well, that's interesting. Why has it changed so much? Um, and, and it actually, it used to be kind of in line with those subsidies, right? Where like your bottom of the pyramid was cereals, grains, and, and like kind of those subsidized foods. Well, now it's switched to where your my plate is primarily fruits and vegetables, a small section of protein. Um, I don't even, it's not dairy anymore. It's, um, is it grains? I think it's grains now. Grains. So, um, dairy used to be like the second major, like most popular one on there. So, um, it, it's actually like counter to what their subsidies are, are geared toward. So that's always kind of interesting, but I did a little research of my own and I also saw, um, gosh, I, I have to look back and, and find the article. I'll throw it in the show notes, but some of the counterpoints were that it's actually more of a sugar issue than it is, a, a, a like a, a subsidy type of thing. And, and sugar itself isn't subsidized. It's just super addicting. And that's, that's kind of more where those issues come from. And, and realistically, tiny percentages of the money that are, are sold in, in like, you know, grocery stores and things like that actually come from those subsidized materials. Um, I think the way that they described it was farmers and people that, that go through and, and make the grain, make the corn, make all this stuff that's subsidized really don't actually benefit that much from from the government subsidy, which I thought was interesting because you would think you're like, oh man, that's crazy. But somebody's making money, right? It right. Just, so who is? It's yeah. right, probably divided between a lot of middlemen would be my would be my assumption here. But um, it, it's interesting because there have been um, some cities within the U.S. that have tried to push back in their own ways, and, and one of the primary ways that they try to do this is through a sales tax on sugary drinks. Right. So, yeah, on one hand, you've got government giving subsidies to uh, manufacturers that make unhealthy foods. And on the flip side of that coin, you have certain U.S. cities that are trying to now tax some of these unhealthy um, things that we consume in order to curb consumption. Um, And then what they do a lot of times in these cities is they take that sales tax revenue to fund other healthy initiatives in the city. Right. So it'd be similar to taxing cigarettes and then taking the money to fund anti-smoking campaigns. So something very similar. Um, but the issue is, is that the, you know, the, the beverage industry, you know, big soda, so to say, has lobbied so hard in Washington in order to get those, those sales tax bans overturned. And a lot of times they're successful, which is super, super sad. But if Coca-Cola and PepsiCo want to drop, you know, uh, $10 million into a congressman's hands, he's going to manage to get that sales tax repealed. Right, right. And, and you brought up the smoking example. I remember this was on, on like, well, not this last election cycle, because I was still living down in Springfield. So like two elections ago, I remember there was a, a local, you know, it was an infrastructure bill that was going to tax tobacco. I'm like, or it, no, it wasn't infrastructure. It was for, for elementary school um, infrastructure specifically. So it was like, okay, we're going to make improvements on all of our local elementary schools to help the children. And all we're going to do is tax your cigarettes and chewing tobacco. And it's going to raise it from being like $3 a can to like four or five. It's like, well, that's just a no brainer. 
did not pass by like flying colors did not pass because so many people are like, no, don't tax my, don't tax my tobacco. Yeah. Don't tax my cigarettes. I'm not paying $5. It's like, you're literally saying my tobacco, my sugar is more important than like children's education and health, which is just mind blowing to me. I think they correlate, right? They're both addictive. Right. I mean, anytime you're addicted to something, you don't want it to go. And you don't want it to be taken away. Right. Not, not to like deviate this, but on kind of that addiction, um, I saw this, it might've been on Netflix, but they are like genetically modifying fast food to be, become more addictive. Like McDonald's French fries have a chemical in them that cause you to like salivate and your mouth goes dry. So you want to eat more French fries. So I'm just thinking about like that. We're eating all these, this processed food and it's, you know, it's leading to a lot of these, you know, unhealthy, these unhealthy people. Um, and a lot of it's like made in the lab. Oh, it's manufactured to um, uh, exhibit certain chemical responses in the brain. Yeah. Right. They, they, you eat a fry and it, it essentially releases the same dopamine as like a workout. Right. It's so messed up. I'm going to go get some and fries. how does that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not. We can jog over there. Yeah. So it's a win-win. But uh, no, it's like, how can they even, like, where does this, who's controlling this? Who allows this to happen? And, and, and why is it happening? Because it's leading to what you guys see now is four in 10 people are obese. And right. There's, you know, sedentary and a lot of other things that go into it. It's very complicated. We're not saying this is an easy thing to solve, but. Yeah, because then there's a whole other part of this, which is uh, food insecurity. Um, and for anyone that doesn't know, uh, food insecurity is essentially when, uh, you know, a household uh, has reported like reduced quantity of food, variety of food, disrupted eating patterns, um, and just general reduced food intake, right? So you could you could think about the impoverished or um, people who have struggled, especially, you know, during COVID and maybe you're not getting a paycheck so you can't afford to eat uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You can only afford dinner and that's all you get, right? Um, so there's about 25% of households in America um, at any point throughout the year um, have reported some sense of food insecurity in their household, right? And again, that, it doesn't necessarily mean they're always going without. It may just mean low quality of food and low quality of selection. Because then it becomes price per calorie, right? And exactly. You can get a thousand calories for ten cents over you buy you know five hundred calories worth of strawberries and it's eight dollars. You know, exactly. Like- yeah. No, I I hundred percent agree. And one of the things too that you had mentioned, TJ, was you know about and I'm glad you did about you know the McDonald's fries and actually creating that chemical release in your brain, um, just like sugar does. It literally creates that release of chemicals where you're like, this is good. I want this. And it's so interesting because another, I, I know Nick, I think has some, some facts on it, but just about how those chemical changes can actually affect, you know, the, the hormone balance, which affects sleep, right? You had some stuff about sleep a little bit. Yeah. So, um, and it, and it's not, it's a, it, part of it's diet related, but other part of it, I believe is just, and we've done an episode about sleep, um, mm-hmm. you know, here on the, here on the show as well, but, uh, about a third of Americans don't get enough sleep and you can say like, Oh, we're addicted to Netflix and social media. And that's why we have poor sleep habits. Well, there are chemicals in the brain when we don't sleep enough again, that are going to increase our appetite and help facilitate that, um, that hunger. So then you wake up in the morning, you you're short on sleep and it's like, I got nothing else in the pantry. I'm eating yeah, crap. You, you pound that sugary caffeinated drink and and then a bowl of cereal and yeah. you're off to your work day or worse yet you you pound that sugary caffeinated drink and you don't even eat breakfast and you're off to your work day. 
and it's just rinse and repeat because we have so many things making us not sleep as well as we should. Yeah. And I, I think one thing this, we didn't really even, um, discuss this too much because, uh, my wife brought it up to me and, and she always provides this, this nice perspective, um, that I, I just kind of overlook, um, but it's, it's the emotional relationship that people often will have with food. Um, and again, that can also work into some sort of, uh, you know, addiction slash, you know, chemical change in your brain. Um, again, I'm not com- definitely not equipped to talk about, you know, the emotional side of things, but just from like a personal experience, you know how certain foods make you feel. And you might even, um, in certain scenarios, crave food because it's, it's not only a learned habit, but because you have an emotional response with it. Say you, you, you finish an activity, you finish swimming, you just did an exercise. Well, maybe every time you got out of the pool, you always went over and had your little ice cream pop when the ice cream thing. So like you get out of the pool and you're immediately craving, man, I want some ice cream. And it's, it's literally like this like emotional response. Like oh, I used to have a, you know, food as a kid after the pool. So yeah, it's, it's very much environmental, right? Like I grew up and like after we ate dinner, my mom would always say, Oh, I just want something sweet. Like, I don't know if you guys had that, mm-hmm. your parents say that. So like er, every time I eat like Chipotle or we have dinner, Justin and I would be like, all right, let's get something sweet. It's like, that's been like introduced to our brain and it's just over and over and over. Even though we, I just ate, you know, 4,000 calories and I don't need that cheesecake. <laughs> right. And it can even, even get more deeper than that. Cause those were pretty, you know, somewhat light examples, but sometimes people go through super dark times and you rely on, you know, food as a comfort. There's a reason why there's a whole genre of food that's called comfort food. It makes you feel better. There's like two types of people. Well, we'll say three because some people stay the same, but like after a breakup, they either go, they either lose a ton of weight or they start gaining because they start to use that food as comfort because they're, they have a void from that loss of that relationship. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. So I think that, um, you know, that kind of hits, uh, yeah, we did not solve nutrition in America, unfortunately, but we're going to move over to some fitness facts and kind of talking points, which is kind of the other, other half of this, this podcast. And, um, you know, I was, I was tasked to, to find some research on it and definitely went down a rabbit hole. It did not go the way that I expected it to go. Um, but, but the first thing that I found was, um, you know, an article stated about 24% of adults last year. And actually this was going back to 2018. So this is a few years ago, uh, said that they, they do exercise enough each week to meet government recommendations for both muscle strengthening as well as aerobic exercise. And that was just a, an annual health survey. And, um, you know, these surveys are run at these big major universities and it's all participation. So, you know, take that for what you will. Um, however, this was up 21% from 2015. So in three years, we had jumped from 3% to 24% of people saying that they actually meet the, the normal recommendations, which is like, oh man, that's great. But in that same time, our obesity rate rose. So I'm like, what, what the hell's going on here? Can't outwork a bad diet. You can't outwork a bad diet. Right. Well, and so that's one thing. But the other ex- explanation was, well, I thought probably more telling and more, um, more fitting is that, well, those people that are reporting that, that increased that bump, they probably were already working out in the first place, but they've just actually increased their activity level. So it's not that like it's it's not that we actually got that much better. It's just the same twenty four percent actually reported slash increased their activity level. So we're we're kind of hitting the same 
demographic what's over the, and over. What's the government recommendation? Do you know? Yeah. So that's actually where the rabbit hole that I went down. I'm like, okay, well, I, you know, I know the government recommendation, um, you know, roughly, I'm not going to get into all the details, but 150 minutes per week of aerobic exercise is, and that's actually what it was for a long time where that's it. That's all you need. You don't need to lift weights and they've increased it to, um, gosh, I think it's, they don't even have, uh, Somebody's going to correct me if I'm wrong because I, I, I didn't actually jot this down. Um, but I think it's three times a week of uh, some form of weight training. Um, and they don't have very good specifics on that. I don't think they have a time frame of, of how many minutes you should spend, um, which is, is kind of interesting. But also, it's, it's a little bit different for everybody, too. So Come and do tough. a set of curls. You met your government standard. Yeah. But the rabbit hole that I actually went down was I'm like, well, how do they come up with these? standards and and who does and and what so i just thought it was kind of interesting um that uh so there's there's a thing called the physical activity guidelines for americans and 2018 was the last edition and and the 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 first edition was in 2008 which my first reaction to this and i remember looking over at nick and telling him i'm like so we, we've been around for how long and we've only had two editions of what we should be doing for physical activity. Like you'd think they'd be on like the, the 40th edition or, you know, um, you know, America's not an, an old country by any means, but you'd think we would have maybe invested a little bit of money into how to keep the population healthy in a fitness and nutrition standpoint. They don't make money if we're healthy. It's true. It's very true, unfortunately. So anyway, the second edition of this came out in 2018 and I'm like, okay, started digging into what all these recommendations are. And then I got sidetracked. I'm like, okay, well, who's telling me what, what I should be doing for these physical activity guidelines? Well, it's the U S department of health and human services. Um, this, this, uh, organization's government entity, obviously it's founded in 1980. Um, their annual budget of is $707 million. And you're like, wow, that's a big number. 707 million. How much money was it? Can you, you, you look, how much money was spent or, um, Gosh, in, in like food, it was like billions, right? In, in 2017 alone, marketing unhealthy foods to children was $9.3 billion. It says marketing. Right. That's, that's just, just marketing. the marketing to children. Um, whereas, okay, so we're going to spend, I don't know how much less that is off the top of my head, but I know that billion is more than million. <laughs> so we can start there. Um, billion. Yeah, yeah, I think Dr. Evil. Um, but no, so I mean, $707 million for our entire country's health it, it just doesn't seem to really add up and that, that that was kind of my first takeaway um and then digging in deeper um the top 10 recipients of health and human service dollars were major pharmaceutical companies and uh defense contractors so that was that was kind of eye-opening too it's like okay so our health and human services is basically just trying to medicate us because we're unhealthy by supplying money to pharmaceuticals to say, okay, this is the, the, the medication that's going to help you cure diabetes. This is what's going to help heart disease. And it's like, okay, well, that's increased our lifespan, but not necessarily quality of life, Just right? reactive versus proactive. Exactly. Right? They, they have no interest in solving the problem by being proactive and making us healthier as a, as a population. So, uh, but money can change hands real quick if we're, if we're reactive and we put you on a med. Right. And so that, the, the, the pharmaceutical was, was obviously the standout I'm honestly not even really sure what defense contractors mean. I was trying to figure that out. I don't know if either one of you guys know what the hell our health and human service would need defense. I don't know if that's for like lawsuits or what, what exactly that is. So I'll just leave it at that. But, um, 
you know, and, and a couple other little details that I found, um, you know, interesting when digging into just physical activity guidelines and things like that is I think a common misconception of people that don't exercise is I'm going to get hurt. You know, I haven't done this in how long. I don't know, you know, basically stemming back to the major question that, that Nick asked in the beginning, like we have all these avenues for fitness, but people aren't really showing up for it. And, and the people that are, are potentially already doing it anyway. So that's not helping the, the major good of the population. But most people think they're like, man, I'm going to get injured. I can't go into a CrossFit gym. I can't go into an Orange Theory place. I can't do, um, you know, Pilates because I'm going to get hurt right away, right? And, and then they don't even go. So, so it, it's, it's interesting that there were some statistics out there that most people – are actually not going to be injured when doing moderate intensity activities, um, even when they meet these key guidelines. So you can go from really nothing to jumping into 150 minutes of aerobic exercise a week, um, lifting three times a week, and, and you'll be okay. Um, but they do happen. Like it's not like it's you're not going to completely avoid that. And, and there are is proof out there. But doing that is going to benefit you more long term than just saying, you know what, I'm good. I'm not. I'm. I'm not. I'm nervous to get hurt. I'm not going to do it. I'll be fine. So that's interesting that, that, that like the fear is such a de- deterrent from moving forward with, with it from an injury standpoint. I could get like the, maybe the, the judgment side of things or the you, being feared of being judgment. We see that, you know, p- with new people in the gym, they, you know, who, what's your target demographic, who else comes in? I could see some of that. Um, but that is interesting. One, another thing that I thought was interesting was that uh, the lowest state for obesity is Colorado. So, and that, uh, they're just, weird. Un- they're just under 25%. Um, you so know, the it, only, the only state, the that's only under state 25%. that's under 25%. Um, and for frame of reference in 1985, there wasn't a single state higher than 15% of its population. So that's how far the ladder has swung the other way. But if you think Colorado, right, you think it's nature's playground. Exactly. I mean, they have some other legal, probably coping weed. mechanisms besides <laughs> besides food, which right. kind of goes back to what you guys were talking about earlier, right? Um, and we didn't even discuss alcohol's role in in the whole obesity epidemic. No, I a hundred percent. I think I think those statistics are always jarring because they come out with the the actual map and and they show you in the color coded green is good, orange or yellow is less good, orange is worse, red is terrible, and it's like. 1980 we were all pretty much green with like maybe a little bit of yellow and mm-hmm. then by now it's like there's one green state and the rest of us are yellow everything red. else is red, yellow and red it, it just feels like a big set set spike to me it's like they like modify our food so it leads to you know unhealthy people they go to the doctor they pay these doctors to give them you know diabetic medicine or heart medicine and it's just like all cyclical right it's like not, no one's being like you said proactive on getting people more active my, the one thing I thought of when you were talking about, like, the bare minimum uh, amount of activity you can do in a week. Have you guys seen Office Space? Mm-hmm. It's like he, they, he's wearing the bare minimum amount of flair at the job or she is right, or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, why can't they just make the bare minimum higher and like <laughs> continue to try to keep people to move a little bit more? But Yeah, I mean, I think one telling point is, you know, throughout the entire COVID pandemic, a lot of news a lot of government um, uh, news conferences, a lot of uh, media coverage, more so than anything else in my life, with maybe the exception of a couple terrorist events and wars. But I mean, it's uh, uh, it was in our face every single day, and I paid attention to a lot of it. Being a business owner related in the fitness industry, 
there was not a single thing that I saw pushed out from the government about nutrition and fitness. The only thing that was going to save us and our species was a vaccine. Not a single thing, though, that we could do to help ourselves, like eat more fruits and vegetables, try to lose a little bit of weight, try to get your heart rate up by running every single day. Like, there was nothing, not a single thing. It was horribly frustrating for us. Yep. Right. Uh, I, and I think, oh gosh, I, I, I do have some, some healthcare notes, but I, I think that could probably be its own whole, whole podcast. And we might want to have somebody on that talks a little bit more um, educated on the actual infrastructure of, of healthcare and things like that. So we won't dive into that. But I think in you know, wrapping everything up, um, again, we're not, we're not here to, to solve America. Maybe we are. I don't know. Maybe this is a step just talking about it. But it's complex. It's so complex. I think and I guess I just want to get your guys' takeaway and maybe I'll throw in my two cents as far as, you know, if you're out there listening, it's overwhelming, right? It seems like the, the, the chips are stacked against you. Um, but what, what would you say, Nick, to somebody that's like, gosh, I just, I, I, I'm, I am obese, but I just don't know what to do. Uh, I think the first way to solve any problem is to be aware of the problem itself and the sources or the, uh, the factors in your life that cause the problem. And so I think that's the whole point of this episode in general is, you know, if you know someone that's struggling with nutritional choices or lack of fitness in their lives, um, you know, and you want to do something to help them, uh, understanding that um, it may be from lack of sleep, it may be from, you know, food insecurity, it could be from a number of different reasons. And if you're at least uh, educated with the different uh, potential factors in our lives that cause it, then you could be a better friend to have that discussion with them and help them find the healthy habits that I think most of our listeners, I think most of our listeners would say like, maybe I don't have the fitness problem. Maybe I have the food comfort problem, right? Or what Mm -hmm. have you, but like maybe you know somebody that's got everything that we talked about and you can maybe find ways that you've solved it in your own life and take that over to your friends. And that's really where I think it's going to start. How can we help the friends and the family in our own local communities take baby steps towards a better routine. Just let it snowball. Exactly. Right. T, you got anything to add to that? Uh, I'm going to botch this quote, but it, essentially this quote was talking about how people like avoid these things throughout their whole life. You know, they want to save money. So they, they buy cheap food. They don't work out. They don't pay a gym membership. So it's like they save up their whole life. And then, you know, the last 10, 15 years of their life, they're spending their whole savings trying to get their health back. So it's like, again, goes back to Nick saying, you know, being proactive, be proactive in your life, invest in yourself. And, and that not only does that include knowledge, but that includes your health and wellness and your, you know, working out and doing everything. So your diet and stuff is not just what you eat. It's what you digest, you know, the news you digest, the friends you surround yourself with, you know, it all correlates and it can all lead to a much, much happier life. Yeah, I think that's super well said. I, I had something and you guys distracted me with your awesome points, but um, you know, yeah, I, handsomeness I, and mostly just handsomeness, but <laughs> thank you. Um, guys, thank you for, for listening. Um, as always, uh, like I said, it's a little bit heavier subject matter, but, um, I, I think it's important. And actually the, my, my point came right back to me now. Um, I think, like I said, it, we're not going to go out and we're not going to get this sweeping government reform because of the podcast that we just recorded. But one little thing that I remember was when Nick and I dove into this research, 
um, I think we had planned to go hit some balls at the driving range after. It's like, okay, cool, fun, fun little outdoor activity. And we hadn't really planned ahead as far as like lunch goes. I'm sitting over at his, his basement and I'm like, you know what? We could probably just run, grab some quick, you know, Subway sandwich, McDonald's, something like that, and then hit the range. And I, I, I remember just looking over at him. I'm like, you know, Nick, I think I need to run home and actually make some healthy food because I feel really, really guilty about talking about all this, going to go on to a podcast, you know, in the next week or two and, and discuss be it. a hypocrite. And be a complete <laughs> hypocrite about what I'm doing. But so I think these conversations are great. And I think that I challenge you guys out there listening because even if you do really well about, um, about yourself eating, other people might have that same experience. You said that. You literally said those words. I've already got some food prepped and some, there's some healthy food prepped that I need to go home and eat. And I went upstairs and ate leftovers that I had prepped because of what you said. So there's an example right there. And we were good for that one day. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I just have one last takeaway, and I, I promise I, this will be the last thing. So there's this kind of this thought process that, you know, if you've ever been on a plane, they say when the oxygen masks drop, what do they tell you to do? Put your own on first. Why? Because you gotta, you got to be alert to save anybody else. You can't take care of people until you take care of yourself. So a lot of you out there that are struggling, always take care of yourself. You know, and I wish like my dad and Nick's dad would have done the same thing. They would have just took care of themselves because then they would have been able to be here for us at a longer age. So just some takeaway. Amen. All right. As always, more important than ever, make sure that you sweat daily today and take care of yourself. And eat some fruits and veggies. 